Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So we are going to be looking at the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 11, looking at 19 through 30. And before that, let's uh, just pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you in an hour like this that we have your word that is an anchor for us. And it is a bright light a torch in the darkness. And so we ask you to illumine us, our hearts and our minds, and let us encounter you through your words. Let them bring us into contact with you, Jesus, the living word. We pray that in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So we are deep into our series on the book of Acts, and we're looking at God's kingdom mission for the church, and we saw early on in chapter 1, verse 8, the outline of the whole book. The Spirit of God, Jesus said, would come upon the disciples and they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And we're seeing each week as we move deeper into the book that that is coming to pass. And we saw last week in chapter 10, the Apostle Peter was preaching the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God to Cornelius and his family and friends, and the Holy Spirit fell on these non-Jews, the Gentiles, with great power, and it was a historic moment for the history of the church. Friends, this is our genealogy. These are our roots. This is who we are. We're people of Pentecost, and we're people of an international church. And so we're getting to see that. It's moving from just something that targeted the Jewish people to now expanding and fanning out all through the Roman Empire. And here we are 2,000 years later, and there's no movement like this in human history. All started with an obscure Jewish man from Nazareth, and we sit here as part of this family, and it's absolutely Amazing. And today we're going to skip over verses 1 through 18 of chapter 11. Why would I skip over that? Because it's Peter, it's important, but it's him just kind of recapping what's happened in the previous chapter. So he's giving a report to the leaders at Jerusalem. And so we're going to look at verse 19 through 30. And what we're going to see here is that God is establishing this church at Antioch. And he is making it a fruitful and influential missional base. And so because it's recorded in scripture, it is a model for us here at All Saints and a model for all churches all over the world for all time. So it's not just a relic that we're looking at in history, but it's a living example. We want to be like Antioch. We want to emulate certain things that God was doing in that church in the first century So what we're going to see here, a handful of characteristics of the church at Antioch, and we're going to look at those and see that it's a model for us, and we're going to lean into it and 
and pray about that. There's six things, and the first one is found in verse 19, but I'm going to read it first. The church in Antioch, Acts 11, 19 through 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, or the Greek-speaking people also, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Friends, this is the word of God. So we're looking at this church that's being established in Antioch, becomes one of the cradles of early Christianity, and the first thing that we see in this model church, look at verse 19. They were affected by persecution, but they were people that endured. They persisted in persecution. And that's how the whole passage is framed here at verse 19. It begins on the note of persecution and martyrdom. And if you can remember back over the previous chapters, this is a theme that comes up time and time again. Followers of Jesus will suffer. Will suffer hardship, persecution, possibly even martyrdom. Different parts of the world, this is happening right now. We're kind of the exception. And we're seeing that this shouldn't be surprising, right? You read the Gospels. You read the Gospel of Luke. We remember that Acts is part two of Luke. Luke is focused on the story of Jesus and Acts is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus through his people, and he suffered greatly. And he told his disciples in Luke 9, if you follow me, you've got to take up your cross. You will suffer. So it's a reminder to us in 2022 that if we follow Jesus, that we have to prepare and embrace for that. It's just part of the gospel message. The good thing is we're seeing the Lord gives us power and the Lord gives us joy And we see that these early disciples were pretty crazy, weren't they? 
So it was like the more intense persecution, you throw them in prison and they're singing and praising and worshiping. They're unstoppable. And so we read the scriptures and we ask the Lord for that same kind of endurance in all forms of persecution as we follow this example. Now I want to say, because I've been talking with people in recent weeks, some of our young people, that this isn't talked about enough. The whole idea of Holy Spirit endurance. And it is part of following Jesus that will have external hardship and suffering, but it's also true internally that we need endurance. And it's not abnormal, young people, that there are dry times and hard times. There's dark nights of the soul. There's desert times. But the Lord is at work in us. And it's in the mystery of his ways that he's at work and he calls us to endure and persist. And Amanda and I have been very open. We walked through a seven-year intense time where we didn't know if we would make it. And the Lord called us to endure. And in that time, we were like, Lord, where are you? We are searching for you. Have you left us or we abandoned? And he didn't. But it was during that time that he was forming Christ in us. And it was very difficult. But young people, this is part of the deal. If you're going to walk with Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you have to grow in endurance. Right? You're not alone. This is why we need friendship. And the early church models this. Amen? We saw the young person, Stephen, persist and endure. And they actually said, Lord, it's an honor to suffer for you. Rather than, like I've shared, I do, why is this happening to me? (laughs) Why are bad things happening? Instead, they had the mindset of, Lord, I embrace this. You're at work. I may not understand it. But as Terry said, your ways are higher. Amen? So endurance and persecution is the first thing we see in the church of Antioch. A second thing is found in verses 20 through 21, and that is Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered evangelism. Look at verse 20. These are unnamed people. We don't know who they are. Some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, a little island about 60 miles from Antioch, Unknown people. We don't know who they are, but verse 20 says they were preaching the Lord Jesus. They were exalting the name of Jesus. And they weren't doing this just with Jews, but they were actually spreading the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus among the Gentiles. They were exalting Christ. And look at verse 21. What's happening as they're sharing with the Hellenists or the Greek speakers. We learned about that in Acts 6. The church began to expand into the Hellenists or the Greek-speaking Jews and Gentiles. And look at the beginning of verse 21. This is what we want. What's it say, church? The hand of the Lord was with them. This is an Old Testament way of saying the power and presence of God was with these men refers to God's great blessing. And really, it speaks of, as they were sharing, the word, the testimony of the gospel, that God was confirming that with signs and wonders and miracles. The hand of the Lord 
was with him. If you remember back in Luke, Jesus drove demons out of demonized people. And what did he say? It was the finger of God that was driving demons, the power of the Lord. And so here that same hand is at work through these unnamed disciples. Goes on to say that, look at the text, end of verse 21, a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. We know previously, we've seen in other chapters, 3,000 here, 5,000 here, and Luke is saying, again, a great number of people. And look at the verbs that are used here. They become believers, and they turn to the Lord. And so there's conversion happening. They're putting their faith in the Lord Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and then they're repenting. They're turning from their old life, and they're following this Lord, this man, Jesus. So Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered evangelism. Look at verses 22 and following. This is really the largest part of this passage here. And we see a third thing that Antioch models for us, and that is team ministry and cooperation. It's pretty important for us here at All Saints, isn't it? The idea that it's not just one person leading certain things, but it's teams of us. We're a vineyard now, praise the Lord. So we say, yeah, all right. And so everyone gets to play. Everyone works together, and it's not a one-man or one-woman show in any arena of the church at all. We all lead and cooperate. And this happens in an environment of grace and faith. Look at verse 22. News of what's happening. And this is the ancient world, friends. I mean, this had to be some serious stuff that's happening to travel 300 miles from Antioch south to Jerusalem. The mother church was hearing about what was happening with these unnamed people and the sharing of the gospel and the hand of the Lord and the signs and wonders and miracles. And they end up sending Barnabas. We'll see what goes on with him. But just, I want to note this for a moment here. I was talking with Michael this morning about Antioch. And like Corinth, Antioch was a very interesting place. Again, it was like a small New York, about a half a million people there. It was founded about 400 years before Christ. It's one of 16 Antiochs. We had one of Alexander the Great's Generals found this particular Syrian Antioch, but he went around the ancient Near East and named 16 cities after his father, Antioch. So we're like, thank you very much for confusing the geography. Which one of the 16 Antiochs? This is Syrian Antioch. And it grew to become the third largest city in the ancient Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria and Egypt. Super important. It was a beautiful metropolis, lots of culture. It was on this river called the Orentis River. And it was a beloved city filled with pagan temples. Again, a lot like, like Corinth. And I've got a slide here. I just wanted you to see sometimes this 
may not be evident just from the words of the text, but that is what ancient Corinth would have looked like. City of half a million on this beautiful river there at the foot of the mountains and they have their fields. That is an artist's rendition. It was a large, stunning, important, influential city and it was deeply pagan. And so it's interesting to think this is where the Lord likes to establish churches. He could have picked any city, any town, and he picked Antioch on the Orentis River, filled with all of its temples and crazy Olympic games, and it was known for its pagan activities. And the Lord Jesus says, ah, I'm going to plant a church right in the heart of this place. And so what's happening there, amen? And I think the Lord wants to do that with us. In the coming days, he's going to use us to plant churches in cities and towns like this. We've had our first venture into that in Guam with the Milners, but there, there will be more. The Lord will speak to some of you, and you will find your own Antioch, and the Lord will take you there. But look at this text. It's interesting. Verse 23 They send Barnabas, this beloved guy, and his name means son of encouragement. Every time he shows up in Acts, he's encouraging people, strengthening them. They send him from Jerusalem to Antioch. And look at that first line in 23. When he comes to Antioch, this wild city where God is on the move and saving scores of people, what does he see? He sees the grace of God. I didn't know you can see the grace of God. Apparently you can. How do you think that he saw the grace of God? Is it like a sheet or a blanket that just kind of comes over people and you go, oh, that's the grace of God. I recognize that. It's the saving activity. It's God's active presence and gracious work that's happening among those people. And it was visible enough. Barnabas comes to town and he says, that is the grace of God at work. And people are responding in faith. Do you think when people come visit us that they think that the grace of God is there at All Saints? What do you think? Is that what we want? I don't know about you, but I want people to walk in and they say, the grace of God is here. There can be lots of descriptions, but that is one that we want, definitely, for people to come, for young people to come and say, I am not sure what is here, but I feel the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God in Christ for sinners like us. That is what we're after. Like the Church of Antioch, we want the tangible, manifest grace of God, God's goodness and kindness to people who don't deserve it. And then he rearranges our lives. So Barnabas comes to town and he, look at the end of verse 23, he exhorts them, he teaches them two things, to remain faithful. So again, we have that thread again, endure, persist, remain faithful, cling to Jesus, you're his bride. And this is kind of bridal language here. You are in covenant with Jesus. Now be faithful to him. Be faithful to him alone. And then be steadfast in your devotion 
to him. It's beautiful. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul talks to the church and says, I've given you to Jesus as a faithful virgin. Now be devoted to him with pure devotion. It's rather beautiful. The text goes on to describe Barnabas here. If you look and see, verse 24, he's a good man. He's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful. He goes to seek Paul and Tarsus. I think he got into that situation and probably said, I've got the perfect person who can come and help me. It's interesting if you think back to chapters 8 and 9, his perfect person is interesting, right? Saul, former murderer, breathing out threats against the church, hunting down Christians in their homes, throwing them into prison. He's the one there at the moment Stephen's being martyred. They're all laying their garments at his feet, so he's probably responsible for it, fully endorsing the martyrdom of the first Christian martyr that we've got here. And Barnabas says, that's the guy I'm going to go get. Friends, that is the grace of God, isn't it? A fire-breathing murderer, and now the grace of God has transformed Saul into Paul. Friends, that's the God we serve. Amen. That is the grace of God that he would want to go look this guy up and say, you're the perfect person to come and work with these crazy Gentiles in this wild city of Antioch. It's a beautiful picture. I mean, it's just redemption at every word, isn't it? The fourth thing here. I love this because I love teaching and I love the word of God. And here at All Saints, we are devoted to the words of Scripture, aren't we? So this is super important in the mix of things here. There's deep and extensive teaching on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Look at verse 26. This is Barnabas. He finds Saul in Tarsus, his hometown. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And look what they did. For an entire year, this tag team met with the church and taught the people. Would have been interesting to hear what they taught. We get snapshots through their sermons, through the apostolic teaching. And then look at what the text goes on to say there at the end of verse 26. It was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. So they were teaching them, and we know from the rest of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Acts 16, Acts 20, they taught about the king, and they taught about the kingdom of God, and they were teaching these new believers the whole counsel of God, the purposes of God, the promised Messiah, King Jesus, what it means to follow him, how he transforms your life, rich teaching, and that's the kind of thing we want to do here. We want to open the scriptures together on Sundays. We encourage you to open your Bibles every day, to not just read and study them, but to pray the words of Scripture. They're there to lead you into an encounter with the Lord. And these were things I'm sure that Barnabas and Saul, Paul were teaching. We're going to take communion here in a minute, so I'm going to wrap up. But I look at the end there of verse 26. This is the first place at this church in Antioch that disciples were called Christians. This is a big deal in the history of the church. They were called Christianos. That's the word there. And it meant people of Christ. And 
the people around them interpreted, they kind of treated Jesus Christ like his last name. And so they called the followers of Jesus Christ Christianos. And friends, it was a political label. Just like there were Herodians. If you were a follower of Herod and you were subject to Herod or any of the Roman empires, you would have been a Herodian. And so they were telling the Christians, we see that you follow another king. You're a Christianos. You follow Christ and it encompasses your whole life. You're fully devoted to him. He's your king. He's your leader. And so this text reminds us, even in this hour, are we Christianos? Yes. We talk about it here. We've tried to navigate through a crazy political climate. And we have said, through it all, President Jesus. Right? We are Christianos. You can be Republican or Democrat or Independent, whatever you are, after you're Christianos. You're a follower of Christ. And I, friends, this should be true for everything, not just politics, but I wanna, I wanna say, even in this very delicate, fragile environment that we're in, before you're Hispanic, you're Christianos. Before you're a black American, you're Christianos. You're a follower of Christ. Before you're white, you are a Christianos. And, and we have to sit with this because we're being told, no, you're Democrat, you're Republican, you're black, you're Hispanic. And you know what? These, these are things that we can identify with, but Jesus changes all of that. Absolutely, in some sense, blasts it all away and puts it in its proper place. It's called the church. And so where we're told to identify with these things and make them first, Jesus says, no, you're a follower of me. My spirit is in you. You're called to follow me all the days of your life. And I bring people together from all of these different groups and tribes. I bring them together and you're Christianos. Amen? And you know what? The world may not like that. The news may not like that. Other Christians may not like that. But we have to be readjusted in our thinking. We are Christian first. Amen? I can't get away from it. We are Christ followers first and foremost. Amen? I'm sitting with this because we're a vineyard now, right? And I even see some things in the vineyard where they're trying to navigate how do we diversify and how do we make space for people. I'm all for that. But we have to remind ourselves and we have to remind the vineyard movement that we're first Christian. We're first kingdom people before we're any of the other things. Amen? This is what Paul writes about in Ephesians 1 and 2. All of those dividing walls. And some of them may even be good. We should be proud of our ethnic background or whatever it might be. But we're first in the family of God, in Christ, together. And we're one. Amen? We're one. It's only through him. 
It's only through the message of the kingdom. It's only through the gospel that we're unified. Amen? All the other things can be good and well, but that is what brings us together. And the Lord's going to teach us more about that in the coming days. He's going to diversify us in the way that he wants to. And we are going to realize that we're baptized, we're one body, drinking from one spirit, and we're Christians. All right, because I started preaching on that. A couple other things here, and then we're going to do communion. The fifth thing is there's prophetic ministry from seasoned prophets. They didn't just have the doors open to anyone blowing through town, but Jerusalem sent Agabus, the prophet, with a mission, and they said, go to Antioch and deliver the word of the Lord and then come home. He was not a traveling magic show. He wasn't doing itinerant stuff all the time. He went with a specific message and he warned the people. He said, drought is coming. Famine is coming. Prepare. And so the sixth thing that happens here, in response to the prophetic word, there was generous giving by all the disciples there. And so they raised money in Antioch and they sent that money through Barnabas and Saul to the elders. It's the first time elders are mentioned and we'll talk more about this. But this church, the Lord was leading them in these ways and giving us and other churches a model. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? The church at Antioch, Christ-like and missional So, Lord, we do. We thank you for your word that speaks to us, that changes us, that transforms us. And we just ask here at this local church that we would have these characteristics, that you would be so gracious, and that the grace of God would be visibly seen here and operating. We love you. We love your church. Thank you that we get to be part of it. Amen.